Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, back on April the 22nd, in First Baptist Church of Tallapoosa, Georgia. Tallapoosa, Georgia, home of the Possum Drop. That happens on New Year's Eve. You know, everybody watches TV to see the ball drop in New York City. In Tallapoosa, they drop a possum. Uh, I kid you not. Uh, April the 22nd, however, was a day where, um, where I learned a few things. April 22nd, 2001. Uh, first of all, I learned that you never have men sign an ordination certificate with a ballpoint pen. I've got a, a picture. This is my ordination certificate that I took. Uh, just a, I took it this morning, as a matter of fact, and and um, and it, it was it was an interesting event that day. And only three signatures are legible because those guys brought their own pens. Everybody else used the ballpoint pen that was provided for them. And so I don't know the names of the guys that signed my ordination certificate. And so if you if you've been ordained, then you know uh, if you've been in those ordination meetings where I'm there, I'm very adamant that you use the pen that I give you because I don't want their ordination certificate in 20 years for all the names to be faded off. Um, but secondly, on that day, I learned that there's tremendous value of those who had walked further along the pathway than, than I have. Um, I sat in that room at 21 years old, and, and man, there was 15 or 16 guys that were there, and it literally felt like I was sitting in the middle of the Jedi Council. I mean, these guys were all just, just, just smart as all get out. Well, not all of them. Um, most of them were smart as all get out. Uh, I mean, just some, some remarkable men who were, who were there in that room today. Uh, I, I, to, to be able to have those men there to speak into my life was just such a remarkable, remarkable thing. You know, I saw an old Marine wearing a shirt one day that said, Beware of an old man in, in a field where men die young. Sadly, not everyone who starts off their journey in the Christian faith finishes their journey. There's a lot of people, even on our church rolls, whose, uh, whose profession of faith was high on profession and low on faith. They may have walked an aisle, gotten baptized, but the truth is, is there's not an ounce of saving faith in their heart. They're like that seed that got thrown out in Jesus' parable of the soils. They showed promise but had no root, or they got choked out by the world. The first pastor that I ever had a part of ordaining, sadly, has walked away from the church, and he's walked away from the Lord. He's living a life that is, uh, I would dare say, is offended by a potato, if I can say it that way. Uh, I hope one day he'll return, but honestly, I believe that he was seed simply cast among thorns. I say all that to say that if you've got somebody who's walked with the Lord their whole life, they've got the gray hairs and the scars to prove, then that's someone who ought to command our attention. That's someone whose words ought to carry weight Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31 says that gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Titus chapter 2, verse 2 tells us the character of a man, an old man, what it should be if he's walked with the Lord into his latter years. Paul says older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And so I would say that if you're a young man, find those men to learn from. Find those men to pay attention to. Find those men who can speak into your life like a wise Jedi master might speak into their, their Padawan. Find those men and learn from them. 
Proverbs chapter 4 begins with that same sort of counsel to find those men who are wise and learned in their life of, a, of walking with the Lord and learn from those men. Pay attention to those men. Take their words seriously. You know, one of the challenges in preaching through Proverbs is that the book is not an easy one for traditional expository preachers. That's somebody who starts in a verse and works verse by verse through the, through the story until you get to the end. And as you get further into the book of Proverbs, the harder it is to preach through these chapters and verses. By the time we get to the end of this series, you're going to think I'm a topical preacher because that's really the only way that you can effectively handle the book of Proverbs. And so I want us to dig into chapter 4 today, but in order to make sense of it, I'm going to kind of break it up into some smaller sections. And so we'll stand as we read the first ones, the first verses here, Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Please stand as we read these verses together. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father... Tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. He taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Father, I'm thankful for the instructions given to us in the Word of God, the example for us to find those wise men and women who've walked a long time with the Lord and to listen to them and to learn from them and to follow their footsteps. May we heed your words today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, Solomon here is, he's giving us a glimpse of something that isn't really recorded for us in the biblical story. The relationship between his father, David, and the future heir to the throne. You can go through and read the the history books, and you'll find that you just don't see a lot of that father-son relationship that develops between David and his his children. We, We know it's there. It's simply not recorded for us. But here in the book of Proverbs, we actually can glean some things about that particular relationship. Now, we we know David's life was well, we might call it in today's vernacular a hot box of mess. Uh, there, there was a lot of problems that King David experienced. Um, however, if Proverbs chapter 4 was written by Solomon, which I believe it was, then, then when he starts writing these words, he's, he's got to be talking about lessons that he learned from King David. He says, he says, Hero, sons of fathers, instruction, be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good pre- precepts, and do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, again, that's Solomon, when I was a son with my father, he's talking about time with David. What did I learn? What are the lessons that I gleaned from that time with my father, David? You know, one of the profound things about wisdom is that oftentimes it's very simple. The, the principles of wisdom are, are oftentimes not complicated. We sometimes even call them common sense in, in a sense, one sense or another. Wisdom is, is often so simple, and, and the lessons that we find in chapter 4 here are actually lessons that if we stop and think about it, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's not complicated. It's not, it's not hard to understand. It's, it's quite simple. The instructions that David gave to Solomon weren't hard at all. Keep my commandments and live. Well, Solomon, if you want to live, what do you do? Do what Daddy said. Hey, that's still good wisdom today. You know, if you're a child and you want to have a good life, you better listen to Daddy, and we could go ahead and put in there, you better listen to Mama too, right? 
And that, that applies for, for more than just don't play in the street, right? I mean, that's obviously good wisdom that our parents give us, but, but it goes more than that. It's deeper than that. If you want a long life, keep my commandments, David told to Solomon. Verse 5, Solomon tells us this. He says, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Meaning that as you get older and you turn into a punky, rebellious teenager... Don't forget the words that I've spoken to you. Don't forget the things that I've commanded to you. And, and remember, for David and Solomon, the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. In spite of the sin issues that we know he struggled with, in spite of the problems that David had, he understood something about what it meant to walk with the Lord. Read through the Psalms. Read the words that David recorded. And, and he understood an intimate, meaningful relationship with the Father. And so, after this lifetime of walking with the Lord and walking through the setbacks and dealing with the struggles and dealing with the troubles and rejoicing in the victories, we certainly understand David has likely learned a thing or two that he could pass on to his children. I need you to hear me this morning. Daddies, you know who you are. You have a biblical responsibility to pour Christ into your children's hearts. You have a biblical responsibility to pour Christ into your children's heart. Study after study after study have shown that so much of the social ills that we are dealing with today are a direct result of the absenteeism of daddies. Our inner cities are, the mess that they're, are in the mess that they're in because so much of the inner city culture treats daddies like they don't belong, like daddies are not part of the family, like daddies are just, uh, are just an accessory. And that's why you have gangs and violence and all the problems that you have in so many of our cities is because of the absenteeism of daddies. Listen to me. If you're a dad, you can work hard and you can put food on tables and roofs over heads. But if you miss the fact that you've got a greater obligation than simply putting food on the table and a roof over the head, then you've missed something tremendous. You've got to do what David did. You've got to take time to teach, our, to teach your children, to, pour, uh, to pass along those instructions. Now listen, if you're not willing to do that, don't you think for a second that there's not some other teacher who is ready to come alongside and do that job for you. And I can promise you, you're not going to like what they're teaching. You're not going to like the instructions that they pass along. I'm not even talking about what your child may be picking up in the classroom. You know, sometimes Christian parents, we, we, we freak out about the classroom. But listen, it's not the classroom that's the, the greatest risk to our children. It's what they're watching on TV. It's the screen time that is rotting their minds. It is all of those things that is doing so much damage to our children today. Listen, you can't even give your kid a plastic potato to play with without somebody trying to teach them a different set of ideas that flies in the face of truth. And the problem is too many parents have given the church the responsibility of being a subcontractor in this respect. Well, I wanna, I'll just pass along the discipleship of my kids to the church. The church can do that because I'm not sure of what I'm supposed to do. I'm not a great disciple myself, so I'll pass those responsibilities along to the church. We reason with this. We say, I'm not comfortable doing this, so I'll make sure that the student pastor or the kids' ministry's got a good shot at them. You know, if I'll make sure they're in church on Sundays and, and maybe on Wednesdays, then, then, then maybe they've got a chance. 
listen, it is not the church's job to subcontract out the work of discipling children. It's the family's, the family is the number one discipler of children today. For some kids, that's the only discipleship they get. And if that's the case, we're going to do our best. But the opportunity to disciple children at church pales in comparison to those opportunities presented at home. The couple of hours that we see kids a week doesn't compare to the hour after hour to the dinners that we share around the table. It simply doesn't compare to the opportunities that are given to us at home. We'll make sure the kids get to Sunday school. We'll make sure they're there so they get their dose of Jesus to counteract all the filth that the world has dumped on them during the week. But that's going to be the extent of it. And if, if I can have just a moment of boldness, one of my jobs as a preacher, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I never want to hurt feelings. But there are times when it's necessary to draw our attention to our own spiritual inconsistencies. You know, one of the things I've noticed over the last few years is that we're not really even making it a priority to get our kids involved in student ministry or kids' ministry. I remember when I was a teenager that Wednesday night was a big deal. Uh, I remember in band that Lydell Self, if you've been around here, you, you remember Mr. Self. Uh, Mr. Self was a band director, and, and man, he was a taskmaster. Um, I mean, you know, Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, it was no thing for him to keep you over. But on Wednesdays, practice ended, and there was time for people to get to church. That you didn't have sectionals after practice, you didn't have meetings after practice. On Wednesday, everything was done, and there was time to get to church. Wednesday night used to be the place to be for students and for kids. Churches used to have big Awana programs that met on Wednesday night. Dozens and dozens of kids showing up. You know, we've been having Wednesday night activities here since July. Since July. And COVID was a concern. A lot of folks still are, are very concerned about COVID. A lot of folks are still living with a great deal of caution going to make their weekly supply runs, that's completely respectable and admirable. A lot of people work late and things like that. That's also understandable. But I think we've been tiptoeing around this problem. And I'm going to say this, and again, I don't mean to hurt feelings, but I think it's important to call out inconsistency. If children are in school playing sports, we're going on vacation, out to eat, why is student ministry and kids' ministry any different? Churches in Nevada sued the state because the state allowed casinos to open, but not the churches. I very much applaud the decision the churches made to press the matter, but I fear there's a lot of Christians who are doing the exact same thing. They've got no problem sitting in the bleachers at a basketball game where nobody's wearing a mask. We're okay with our kid boxing out some stranger from a different town, swapping sweat. We're okay going to eat and going out to the mall and going to Walmart and posting the pictures on social media, but at church, I just don't know that I feel safe. Have you seen how big this place is? Nobody in here is closer than six feet to people that they're not usually closer to six feet with. We got big old rooms and we work hard to spread out people. At least if you come to church and you sit next to someone who has COVID, we're going to have the decency to tell you. You think O'Charlie's is going to call you and tell you that your waiter tested positive the next day after they served you food? 
You think Food City is going to let you know that the person who handled all your groceries went home with a fever a couple hours after you left? Let's be clear. And this is my greatest concern. Our kids see this. Our kids are picking up on this. And we are teaching them lessons that are going to be really, really, really hard to unlearn. So we have an obligation to the next generation. But as we move forward into Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, we understand that there's a pathway of wisdom that is to be, in, uh, to be shown as well. Look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 10. Hear, my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the path of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction and do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the path of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. So as we think about our responsibility to the next generation, Proverbs 4 helps to shine the light on the extent of that responsibility. And first thing we understand that we must lead by example. We're still in this mode of a father instructing his son. And there is still a sense that Solomon is, is passing along the wisdom of his father David. David undoubtedly had a very long lifetime to experience and convey that to Solomon. But listen, it was more than just teaching. Hey, look at verse 11. I have taught you, but he also says I have led you. Listen to me. Teaching is easy. Now, if you're a teacher, I'm not suggesting that what you do every day is easy. Hear me correctly there. Teaching is easy. You can teach anything. You know, you can teach what you don't believe. I can teach you the theory of evolution. I could sit here and tell you all about Charles Darwin and, and the origin of species. I could teach you the theory of evolution, but I don't believe a bit of it. I could teach you the Communist Manifesto. We could talk Marx and Marxism. We could talk critical theory and all that stuff that we're hearing today. I could teach it to you, but I think it's a load of hogwash. I don't believe it's worthy of the paper that it's printed on. I know men who've opened this book and who've taught it. They don't believe a word of it. Teaching is easy. Leading is a different story. Because the only way we can effectively lead is to lead by example. I got a great set of in-laws. I don't know if they're watching right now or not, so I would have said that even if, even if they're not watching. I've got a great set of in-laws. My father-in-law loves the Lord. He's a faithful servant of the church. They've moved, and trying to find a church to connect to in the middle of COVID is, is, has, been a, has been a challenge. But he loves the Lord, and he loves his church, but he wasn't always as eager to be in church. And they'll tell you the story. That all changed one day when his daughter, my wife, said that if he didn't have to go to church... She didn't have to go to church. Well, guess what happened that day? My father-in-law became a faithful, regular church attender. He's been in church ever since. Because that day he said, it's time for me to stop teaching. It's time to start leading and leading by example. 
Verse 12 says, when you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. That's because we've demonstrated the right way to move forward if we lead by example. We've led through treacherous situations. We've walked through dark times. And since we know the pathway, we've got an obligation to demonstrate that pathway to those who come after us. Parents, if you're not helping your children avoid the mistakes and the pitfalls that you made, then what are you doing? If you're not helping them to see the missteps, if you're not helping them to see the, the dangerous places, if you're not helping them to learn from your mistakes, you're not leading them well. We want to lead them so that they, their, their steps are not hampered, that they will not stumble. But secondly, we've got to make sure that we are establishing the contrast between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. We've got to paint a picture for them. That's what Solomon does. He, he, does, he keeps going here through, through these verses as, as, he, as he paints this picture. He says in verse 14, Don't enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. That's a terrible picture that he's painted. I'm going to tell you, if you're somebody that can't sleep until you've done wrong, and you eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence, I don't know that I want to hang around with you. If, if your, your child brings home a friend and said, here, meet my friend, this is someone who can't sleep unless he does wrong. He, he eats the bread of wickedness and drinks the wine of violence. I say, he's too young to drink wine. Why, why, why are you hanging around this person? If this is a pathway that this person is walking, what a dark pathway. Solomon is helping us to understand that, that there is a very dark pathway that people can walk down. You don't want to hang around those folks, and you certainly don't want your children to hang around those folks. But look at what Solomon says. He says the path of the righteous, this is better, is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. That sounds like somebody I want to be around. Don't you be around people like that? Who, whose life brings light into your life? That The more you know them, the brighter that light gets. That's the pathway of the righteous. You've got the pathway of the wicked, somebody that, that can't sleep unless they've done evil. And then you've got the pathway of the righteous, which is somebody who, when you meet them, they just light up your life. They bring light into the darkness. There's this huge contrast that is painted for us here. We would be wise to show the next generation the contrast of the pathways, not the contrast of the personalities. This matters. A lot of times we end up making this about personalities. There's bad people and there's, there's good people. There's righteous people and there's evil people. And here the, the, the picture is not of the person, but of the pathway that the person is on. And so we end up with these sort of ideas. We end up with the idea that, that, that if, you, if your political party has a donkey as a symbol, that you're bad, and if they've got an elephant as a symbol, that you're good. You know, there's a reason that we go to the election and we say we're choosing between the lesser of two. Lesser of two evils. We end up putting men on pedestals, and we find ourselves devastated when they let us down. You know, one of the great topics in church news in the last couple of weeks 
has been the posthumous revelation of Rabbi Zacharias's moral failures. I don't believe it's in, I don't want to talk too much about it, a man who's gone on to be with, a, uh, who, who's passed away. I don't even know the spiritual condition he's in now. You can't help but recognize the fact that countless people have been saved as a result of his ministry, of his preaching. You can't help but recognize that, that I mean, literally, literally countless. I don't know, even know how many people were saved as a result of Ravi Zacharias preaching. But the, the fact of this remains is that he was on a pathway that was filled with darkness. The, the revelation, and these aren't, these aren't spurless revelations. These are things that, that, are, that are confirmed to be true. No one's denying it. The things that he was doing in the darkness are absolutely terrifying. Because here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher, a politician, or a prisoner. If you walk a pathway of wickedness, you are going down a very dark journey. However, if you walk the pathway of righteousness, you're walking into the light. Parents, grandparents, deacons, elders, we've got to paint this picture as clearly as Solomon did. There are only two pathways. There's no such thing as a, as a mushy middle. Sometimes I think that's what we want. We want the middle ground. We want to be, we want to be right there in between. There is, no, there is no, no middle ground when we're talking about this. There's only two pathways. Jesus spelled it out as clearly as possible. He said, if you're not for me, you are against me. He said, in the, in the flock, in the field, there's only two animals, sheep and goats. There's no donkeys. There's nothing else. It's sheep or goats, and you're one or the other. You're either on a pathway toward darkness or you're on a pathway toward light. Thankfully, in God's grace, he's made it possible to leave that dark pathway. But we've got to be willing to stop walking and turn around and go the other way. And hear me in this. Parents, you are leading, and you are leading by example, whether you want to or not. The question is simply this, which way are you leading? As we conclude, what are the consequences of this leading by example and painting a picture of a pathway of righteousness contrasted with a pathway of darkness? We'll look at verse 20 of Proverbs chapter 4. My son, be attentive to my words, Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Don't miss the outcome of this consequential work. The overflow of following the pathway of wisdom is life for the world around us. As Christians, we ought to be pouring life into our world, not draining life from the world. And if you don't like the direction of the world, I don't particularly care for the direction things are going, the only thing that can change it is the blood-bought church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to make a difference. That's the only thing that's going to change it. And changing it, it can happen quickly if the Lord would send a spirit-filled awakening. That's happened from time to time. 
But the pattern over and over and over again in God's story is that changing takes time. The Protestant Reformation didn't happen overnight when Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of the church there in Wittenberg, Germany. It had been rumbling for a long time and it would take decades to become established. We are still fighting some of the battles today that were fought during the heat of the Reformation. The other side understands this. The other side gets this. You may be looking at our world today and you're thinking, man, things are changing so fast. They, they ungendered Mr. Potato Head this weekend for crying out loud. I mean, everything's happening in a fury. They've been working to change things for decades. What we're seeing in rapid succession today is simply the fruit of seeds that have been planted over the course of the last half century or more. Because the truth of the matter is this. The wicked have no problem whatsoever playing the long game. In C.S. Lewis' book, The Screwtape Letters, if you've never read it, it's a classic in Christian literature. You ought to make it a point to read it. The, the speaker in the book is a demon named Screwtape who is giving his nephew instructions on how to steal a man's heart away from Christ. In one of the more chilling sections of the book, we read these words. Again, demon speaking to his proverbial nephew. He says, you will say that, that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember... The only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, the enemy being the Lord Jesus. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than playing cards if playing cards can do the trick. And listen to this. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Men and women, we must help the next generation and a lost and dying world understand the difference. And as wise followers of Jesus, we understand that out of our hearts, out of our hearts flow springs of life. Jesus said this in John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's why the church is the only hope we've got. 
Because the church is the only community that's filled with people whose hearts are, are, are to be the ones who are flowing with springs of life, sprowing, uh, flowing with, with living water. In order to get this, it only comes through a vibrant and faithful walk with the Lord Jesus Christ where we are living that out as, as grandparents and parents, where we are living that out so the next generation can see it, where they can understand what it means to walk with Christ. The truth of the matter is, you can't hide it, nor should you want to. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you for the wisdom of Solomon given to us in Proverbs. Father, help us as your people to paint a clear contrast between the pathway of the wicked and the pathway of the righteous. Lord, help us to particularly be able to teach that to our children. Lord, I pray that if there are any here today that are walking in that pathway of, of, of wickedness, that they would see the opportunity today to turn from the direction they're going and turn towards Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's parents here under the sound of my voice who are teaching one thing and living another, that today would be a day in which they say, you know, we're, we're not doing that anymore. Our kids are not only going to know what we believe, they're going to see what we believe as we live it out by example in their lives, there'll never be any question in their minds about where mom and dad's true allegiance lies. Lord, for those who are here, maybe they've raised kids and now they've got the pleasure of, of grandkids, that, that they too would understand their role in that. That they, perhaps with those gray hairs collected in years of walking with you, have an obligation to share that wisdom with those who come after them. Lord, I pray that if there's any here today that, that perhaps they look at their life and they look in their heart and they say, you know what, there's no springs of water flowing out of my life, that today they would understand their need for Christ and their need to follow Jesus. They would understand that Jesus has died on the cross to pay the penalty for their sins and he has rose again guaranteeing resurrection for all who believe that they would understand that it is a gift of grace that has been extended to them, that if they would but receive the gift, they too could be saved. And they could be set on a pathway of light off that pathway of darkness. God, we ask that you now move in our midst. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.